Amen, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we will lift you high in our darkest valley. We will lift you high. We will glorify the name that saved our souls. So we lift high the name of Jesus. We thank you for salvation in him. We thank you for sanctification in him. We thank you for glorification guaranteed in heaven through him. And Lord, we rejoice, not because our life is perfect, but because Jesus, you are perfect and you're carrying us through this thing. So we lift you high in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So it's my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning. Welcome to Living Waters. My name's Josh, and I'm the preaching pastor here. So I get to introduce our speaker this morning. Danielle and I were actually speaking at a marriage conference this weekend. So we spoke four times uh, Friday and into Saturday. And so uh, by the grace of God, I have a friend who's a missionary to Spain that can come and preach for me this morning. And he's an old friend. He's a dear friend. And I'm very thankful that I get the opportunity to introduce him. So his name is Andy Mesmer. And as he comes up to speak, I want to just give a couple minutes here to introduce Andy. Um, we, we first met when Andy looked like this. Okay, he's in the red shirt there. And, and Andy came on campus of the Bible college I was going to at that time. And, you know, whenever a 6'6", uh, tall guy who can jump comes onto the basketball court and you're the point guard and you're looking for a center like that. You kind of pay attention to a freshman who comes in. And that was the beginning of a really good friendship between Andy and I. Uh, we actually were roommates together in college. Uh, he was my uh, assistant RA at, at uh, Bible College back in the day. He wrote all the fines and I gave all the grace. Amen? That's how that worked. Um, but here's just a picture from a few years ago. Uh, this was, uh, I think, four years ago or three years ago on furlough. Uh, that's Andy and me and Clifton, a friend of ours from college who's now up in Minnesota, Rochester area, planting, helping a church plant out. And Andy and I, we've always just had a great connection in Christ. And I think the Lord has, has brought us together um, for purposes to glorify his name. And we, we hung out together in college um, I stayed here in Des Moines, got my education, got my seminary degree. He took off for Phoenix, uh, learned Spanish, and is on and was on his way to Global Missions, which uh, now on a cold, wintry Iowa February day, what do you need more in your life than to dream about southern Spain? Amen? And just Seville is where he lives now. Uh, they were in Madrid, now they're in Seville. And uh, God has done a great work in Andy's heart. Um, he won't tell you this, so I will tell you this. He's, he's Dr. Andy Mesmer now. He got his doctorate, his Ph.D. Uh, the Lord has really blessed his teaching ministry. Um, he is uh, very, very blessed as a, as a teacher. And uh, they have five children. And you get to meet Lindsay, his wife right here, and their five kids. So they, they're just doing it. They're just an amazing couple. I'm so thankful to call Andy my friend, and I'm so thankful that he gets to bring the word to you guys this morning, and we will be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, where Jesus calms the storm. All you got to do is live, and you're going to go through some storms, and so how does Jesus calm those storms? Well, we're going to let Andy um, 
preach to you this morning. Let's give it up for Andy as he comes to preach the word to us. Hey, what time do we, what time do we stop? I'd like to ask you a question this morning. <clears throat> Why do you think God gave us so many stories in the Bible? I mean, He gave us a lot of stories. Um, Old Testament, New Testament, He just gave us stories. Story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac. Uh, the story of Israel crossing the Red Sea, leaving Egypt, uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, the story of Joseph. Why, why do we have so many stories? Well, I mean, <clears throat> obviously, you know, God wants us to know history. He wants us to know how God worked through Israel. He wants us to know about the past. Um, more importantly, God wants to show us how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, right? Jesus is the true Isaac who really was sacrificed. Um, Jesus is the one who leads us out of slavery, out of Egypt. Jesus is the one who was in the lion's den and raised out of the lion's den. Um, the Old Testament points us to Jesus, right? But that's not the only reason God gave us stories. He gave us stories because, and this comes right out of 1 Corinthians 10, He gave us stories because we need them. The stories are written for us. You know, when, when you read about Israel being delivered out of Egypt, that's not just one thing that happened one time a long time ago. God wants to deliver you from Egypt. You know, when you see David fighting Goliath, and you are the scared Israel army standing afar, hoping that David can beat Goliath, that's you. And you can charge in his name. Um, so God gave us stories in the Old Testament to point us to Jesus and to talk about ourselves, but He also gave us stories in the New Testament to do the same. Just let me give you an example uh, from the Pharisees. Have you guys ever asked why so many gospel stories talk about the Pharisees? There's a lot. Did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hope that a Pharisee would pick up a copy of their gospel in Barnes and Noble and read it and say, wow, I had no idea I was such a bad person. I mean, is that really what they hoped to do? Is that what God wanted to do? No. <laughs> You're the Pharisee. You're the prostitute. You're the sinner. These stories are about you and about me and about our sin and about our Savior. And so when we read 
this story about how Jesus calms a storm. It's not just a cool story. I mean, it is a cool story, but it's not just a cool story. This is the story of you. This is the story of your life. Let's read this story real quickly in Matthew chapter 8. And it starts in verse 23, Matthew 8, 23. And I'm reading from the ESV. And this is what the Bible says. And, and as I read it, actually, let me just explain to you what's going on here. Actually, let me take a step back. Just like Josh said before I came up here, all you have to do is live. That's the only thing you have to do is live. Is anyone living this morning? Guess what's going to happen? You're going to go through a storm. Okay, and I don't mean like a bad day of work storm. I mean the kind of scary storm we're going to read about this morning. You're going to go through it. And so when we read this story, and we read about how Jesus calms a storm, four things are going to happen. Or at least these are the four things that God wants to happen when we go through a storm. See, this story is to teach you how to go through the storm. And these are the four things that happen. You know the first thing that happens when you go through a storm? You know what the beginning of a storm is? The beginning of the storm in your life is obedience. That's what's going to start the storm. Look at verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Okay, this isn't the story of Jonah who's running away from God and he sends a storm. This is a story about Jesus doing something and his disciples say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm doing the right thing. This is the beginning of the storm. If they had never followed Jesus, this storm never would have happened. They're being faithful disciples. They get into the boat. They trust Jesus. And because they trust Jesus and because they follow Jesus, the storm comes. The second part in the storms in your life is Trial and the feeling of abandonment. That's what we see in verses 24 and 25. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, I don't think many of us are experienced sailors in here, but if you can just imagine, just imagine how scary that would be. We're not talking about a swimming pool. We're talking about a lake, a big lake that you can't swim to the shore. The only thing that you have in that moment is the boat. If anything happens to that boat, you're gone. And guess what? Something's happening to that boat. It's coming over the sides. And guess what Jesus is doing? <laughs> He's asleep. And it's not just because he had a hard day at work. You, you guys have to give Jesus more credit than that. He's not asleep on accident. He didn't just drift away. Or as my dad always says, just resting my eyes. 
He's not doing that. Jesus fell asleep on purpose. You know what? Jesus is going to fall asleep on purpose when you go through a trial. But he's doing it on purpose. Step number three. Excuse me, verse 25. They went and woke him and said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Okay, this is not your everyday trial. You guys remember Paul, what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? You guys remember what he said? He basically said, it was so bad, I did not want to go on living. Now, I don't think that means that he was suicidal. But it was that bad that he said, I really don't care to live anymore. That's the type of trial where that, we are perishing. That's what we're talking about here. Step number three, Jesus is actually going to rebuke his disciples and then he's going to save them. That's what we see in verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now he's doing this for a reason. Jesus is in complete control of everything, and he's doing all of this for a reason. You know the reason Jesus is doing this? You know the reason why bad things happen to good people? Because he's preparing them for worship. That's what we find in verse 27. And the men, the disciples, they marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? This is what he's preparing his disciples for. That's what we were just singing about. To worship God, not just in our trials, but worship God in hope, a sure hope, a true hope in our trials, and then to worship God after our trials looking back. That's what Jesus is doing in this story. And listen, this is what Jesus is doing in your stories. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to share with you three storms that I've been through. Not three bad days that I had but three storms that I've been through. And these are my storms. I think some of you have been through some of these storms, but you went through them differently. They're not exactly your stories. But as I share these stories with you, think about your own storms. Think about the storm that some of you are in right now. Think about where you are in that storm. Think about the disciples and think about what Jesus wants to teach you in the storm right now. And even though my storm's not your storm, you know what? Whenever you see the water coming over the boat, it's scary. <laughs> a storm is a storm. And we're all calling out to the same Jesus. So let God speak through my stories to you. 
to help you go through the storms of life better. So the first storm in my life came when I was about 12 years old, and it's when my parents got a divorce. Now, just like the disciples, I was being obedient. I was saved, baptized, going to church. I was even witnessing to my friends. You know, I was a good kid. I wasn't doing anything wrong, like bad. I wasn't torturing cats or anything. I was a good kid. Jesus was walking in front of me, and I was following him. Guess what? A storm came. And it was totally unexpected. I didn't know this at the time, but my parents, they made a, uh, an agreement never to fight in front of us kids. And they told us they were getting a divorce. I was so green, I was so naive, I didn't even know what a divorce was. They had to explain to me what was happening. I remember when they explained to me what was happening. They took all of us kids, I have two older sisters, they took us out for a walk, my dad did. And I have never in my life seen my dad shed a tear My dad lit himself on fire once. That's another story. (laughs) He didn't cry. (laughs) My dad broke down. I mean, sobbing, convulsing. We had a normal middle-class life, big house. I had my own room. Christmas presents, a good middle-class life, we were immediately poor, immediately poor. And I've been away from the U.S. for a while. Apparently, the prices at Goodwill have gone up lately. But back in my day, when I was 12, Goodwill was dirt cheap. Like, $1.50 would buy you anything at Goodwill. We had to watch our budget at Goodwill. We were poor. And one of the worst side effects of all this is that I blamed everything on my mom, and I truly, from the bottom of my heart, hated her. And I really hated her. Everything was her fault. Everything bad in my life was her fault. Now... I don't know if I had the mind of that time, but looking back, I could probably say I felt that God had abandoned me and that it wasn't fair. And before I go any further, I just would like to share with you some thoughts I have about people who, can I, I I don't mean to um, offend anyone, but can I say freak out? Here? <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't know if that's a bad word or not. I don't speak English anymore. Um, <laughs> when waves come over your boat, 
most likely you're going to freak out. And everyone freaks out differently. And the reason why we freak out is that sin is not natural to us. When God created us, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, He never created us. Like being a part of the image of God, a part of that is not, and you know how to handle sin. It's like we were never made to know how to handle sin. It's unnatural, it's external, it's, it's foreign to us. And so we do all sorts of weird things. We do the same weird things that Adam and Eve did when they sinned. You guys read Genesis 3 lately and see how Adam and Eve responded to their sin? It's weird what they do. They freak out. I mean, just think about God and how he created. How did God give life and order to the universe? By speaking, right? God's voice should be the most beautiful, awesome, powerful sound in reality. You know what they did when they heard God calling for them after they had sinned? (laughs) They hid themselves. That is totally and completely unnatural. Some people, when they see the waves coming over their boats, you know what they're going to do? They're going to want to hide. Other people, they're going to start blaming everyone. Like Adam and Eve blamed each other. Other people are going to get really angry. They're going to try to dominate everyone else around them. Like God said what happened between Adam and Eve. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. When you have water come over the side of your boat, you're going to freak out probably. And what do you do when it's not you and you see someone else on their boat? Water coming on the side. What do you do? Well, I can't say that this is inspired. I can't say this is the best advice in the world. And if the pastor's in a later sermon, say, don't listen to Andy's advice, then follow them, because I'm not an expert in this. But as I've thought about Scripture, the best simplified advice that I can come up with, when you see someone going through a trial, that you need to be patiently present with them. So there's two parts. You need to be patient with that person. I mean, can we have some empathy here? Like, please raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, there's not even any funny people in here trying to raise their hand. Hey, guys, we've all been there, right? Can you please have empathy with people who are going through very hard times in their life? Like, yeah, they're going to freak out, okay? Like, they're like the disciples. That's what they're going to do, and they're going to freak out in all sorts of different ways. All right, can we just... Please be patient with people and not automatically either try to judge them or try to make it all better. Like, it's scary. Like, we don't want to live anymore. We are perishing. It's okay, brother. I've got a verse for you. Okay, it's not that easy, okay? 
but you also need to be present with them. All right? When you see someone freaking out, it's not really pleasant to be around that person. <laughs> it's easy to say, okay, uh, call me in a few months. When all of that's settled, you cannot do that. You need to be present in that person's life. You need to be patient with them, but you need to be present. You do need to be present to speak God's word to that person at the right time, at the right moment, in the right way. So if you see someone going through this, be patient and be present. Well, just like the disciples, I was rebuked and I was delivered from this. You know where the rebuke came from? <laughs> it came from the last person in the world I wanted it to come from. It came from my mom. She called me over to her house one day <clears throat> and she opened up an old photo album book of us. Now for the kids in here, photo album is what we used to have pictures in before phones, when everything was black and white. She showed me a bunch of pictures, pictures of when I was young, pictures of me hugging her, pictures of me playing with her, pictures of us loving each other. And I realized how unfair I was being with my mom. And I realized how unfair it was to blame everything on her and how unfair it was to hate her. And you know, guys, we are complex people. There are no angels in this world. You know, and there are very few demons in this world, too. People are going to hurt you. People are going to bring storms in your life. But those people have also done good things in your life. My mom had done a lot of good things for me. And I was being really unfair in how I was treating her after the divorce. And she was God's voice in my life. That's who God used. And he also used some other people to deliver me. There was a church nearby that had a divorce recovery program. We went there every week and we listened to stories of other people who had gone through divorce. We went through, we listened to people, adults, they had been through divorce. And they helped us navigate this very difficult time. And you know, it was strange, but I have two older sisters and just being with them was a form of deliverance for me. Being with someone who was where I was at. And if you're going through this, and especially if you're a parent with kids that are going through this, make sure that you support your children being with each other. Because they're really the only people in the world who know how hard this is. And just like the disciples, when God delivered me, and I slowly put my life back together, I slowly stopped hating my mom. I slowly changed my life. Another person God used in my life was a Sunday school teacher. He was a cool guy. I wasn't. I wanted to be like him. 
I worship God. And I think, God, who is this? Even divorce obeys him. You know that God can use a broken marriage, hard childhood, to change people for his glory. This was a major turning point in my life. I woke up. I followed God. My church family became very important to me. I got through high school more or less unscathed. God used this in my life. And he can use it in your life. And I worship him for having brought me through it. And you can worship God when he brings you through your storm. That was the first storm in my life. The second storm is when I became an atheist. <laughs> Any atheists here this morning? It's okay. I was. Yeah, I became an atheist. I was a student at faith. This was after you graduated, Reuben, so you weren't there with me. <laughs> I was a student at faith. I was uh, studying to be a pastor. I was a pastoral major. I was an RA. I was supposed to be an example to all the other students. And I was a class chaplain. Excuse me, I was a school chaplain, even more important. I was preaching to the whole student body once a month from God's Word that God exists. <laughs> and I was an atheist. I was becoming an atheist, but that's what I'm getting at is I was being obedient. I was following God. I was doing the right thing. I wasn't torturing cats again. I was following God. Guess what? That was the beginning of my trial. The storm came. I didn't ask for the storm to come, but it came. How did it come? I woke up one day with doubts. I just started doubting. I had questions. And I couldn't find answers. I was getting really good answers from atheists and people of other religions about why Christianity isn't true, about why God doesn't exist, getting really good arguments from them. I wasn't getting anything from Christians. And I remember working up the courage one day to ask a Bible professor at faith, someone who knows everything about everything, he's going to settle this for me. He's going to help me. I went to him and I said, you know, these are some of my doubts. I've got questions about this. What do you got for me? And this was his response. Oh, well, you just need to believe that. And that, for me, was putting up the intellectual gun to my head and pulling the trigger. Because I just thought, okay, so either I can think and be an atheist or blindly believe things and be a Christian. And I got depressed. I started taking walks at midnight in the rain so that I could cry. And um, at the end of one of these walks, I said, Andy, just be honest with yourself. You don't believe it anymore. And that's what I said. <clears throat> I went home. I think it was in the summertime. 
And uh, by chance, by chance, wink, wink, by chance, um, I found some cassettes. Now again, for you younger people, cassettes are these rectangle things that have music on them. You can listen to songs on them. Or in my case, a sermon. And I listened to a pastor. His name was D. James Kennedy. Anyone ever heard of D. James Kennedy? Just a faithful pastor in Florida. And he did a sermon series. Now let me take a step back. When I was becoming an atheist, I had worked everything down. I had gotten, cleared everything away. And I said, there's really only one thing that matters. The one thing that matters is Jesus' resurrection. Now, I didn't realize that I was doing what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus rose from the grave, it's all true. And if he didn't, it's all a big lie. I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking that. I was just working my way through life and doubts and everything, and I said, this is it. If I could accept the resurrection... God exists, he works in this world, miracles are true, Jesus rose, he said who he was, I get the Old Testament, the New Testament, and I follow him. I get it all. And that's what I was struggling with. And by chance, I came across this sermon series by this pastor, and he went through theory after theory after theory about the resurrection and how each theory was debunked. And the fascinating thing to me at the time was Christians didn't even have to debunk it. There would be a non-Christian and he would put forth a theory and then some other non-Christian would come and say, that's ridiculous. And he would debunk it and he'd propose his own one. And then another guy would come and say, well, that's dumb. Look at how dumb this is. And he'd propose another one. And it was just theory after theory after theory. And at the end of the series, I, I had this moment. I thought, I think that the best explanation really is that he rose from the grave. And that's what God used to stop the downward spiral in my life. That was God in my life saying, peace be still to the storm after he had been so quiet for so long. But see, God was asleep on purpose in my life. He had to take me through that. You see, he took me to rock bottom so that he could build me up from the foundation. God may be taking you to rock bottom. He may be asleep, but he's doing it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose. And before I go on, look, this is my storm, okay? If you're having doubts, there are so many resources out there that talk about the Christian faith. Christianity and the scriptures have been scrutinized and criticized and attack, attacked literally more than any other religion, any other book in the history of the world. And look at us. We're still here. Like, God's still working. It's still true. It hasn't been debunked. There really is a God. 
He really sent his son. He really died for us. He really rose again. His spirit's still working. We have so many resources. Christianity makes too much sense. It's too intellectually credible. It's too satisfying. We see it experientially too much in our lives. Christianity makes sense. And I don't know if you're... I have, I'm a doctor. I don't get really excited, but this is me getting excited, okay? <laughs> I worship God. Praise God. I look up with the disciples and I say, who is this? He even turns my doubts into faith. You know, God can turn your doubts into faith. That's what he's doing. He was preparing me for that. Had I never gone through this, I'd probably just be average Joe Christian out there. He's changed me. He calmed the storms and I worship him. That was the second storm. Now for the third storm. And I think this third storm is the most relatable. The third storm I went through in my life is coming face to face with my lifelong struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, and stress. Anyone stressed out? Anyone battle anxiety and fear? My life was fear. My life was anxiety. This storm was a bit different because the disciples were following Jesus. They were being obedient. And on the surface, I was doing the same thing. I was in my first year of getting my PhD in the New Testament. So clearly, I'm more spiritual than most people. I had just been ordained as a pastor. We were being commissioned as missionaries. My wife had just got pregnant with our first child. We were doing everything right on the surface. But I know, I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that beneath the surface, the storm was my fault. Has anyone been there? Is anyone in a storm right now? where if you're honest with yourself, you can say it's your fault. I've got good news for you. You just wait. Why was it my fault? <clears throat> well, I'm going to be honest. And people laughed in the first service. That's fine. You can laugh. I am a smart person. Some people are stronger some people are taller. Some people are better relationally. Some people are good with money. I'm not good at any of that stuff. I'm smart. You know what? I really cared that other people thought I was smart. And the Bible has reserved its worst condemnation for people like me. You know what that word is? It's pride. And I was proud. I was smart, and I wanted all of you to know how smart I was. I mean, I was too spiritual to say that, but I wanted the glances. I wanted the, you know, wow. Invite me over for dinner. Let me share all that stuff I know with you. 
Invite me to teach Sunday school. You know what that's called? You know what pride is called? It's called idolatry. Specifically, self-idolatry. It's self-worship. And this is my thing. But you know what? It's your thing too. Your sin is self-worship. Whatever it is that you're doing that is not loving God and loving other people, you're loving yourself, you're seeking yourself, you're putting yourself first. And that's what I was doing. You know what happens when you start to worship yourself? It's never enough. And you get really worried and really nervous if everyone else isn't also worshiping you. Or maybe they don't think you're very smart at all. And my storm came, and now I can say it's a gracious storm. Has anyone ever had a gracious storm in their life? I almost passed out at dinner one night. Got up, walked around, almost passed out again. And that started... A long chain of events in my life. I didn't sleep for two days. I didn't eat food for five days. I had unceasing surges of adrenaline up and down my chest for months. Went to the ER, went to the doctor, asked for the magic pill to take all the pain away, took the pill, and guess what? It made it worse. And that's when I got really scared. Because I realized that I had to go through this alone, just me and Jesus. And you know what? I really wasn't into Jesus. (laughs) I was into me. I was into how much I knew. I was into people thinking a lot about me. But I wasn't into Jesus. People thought I was into Jesus. I needed people to think I was into Jesus so that they would think a lot about me. I wasn't into Jesus. You know what? Anxiety, worry, stress, doesn't care how much you know. It's going to eat you up and spit you out. I got really into Jesus. (laughs) But you know what? It took me time. It took me time. And I thought Jesus was sleeping on me. He wasn't answering my prayers. Things were getting worse. Things got so bad I was literally afraid to be awake because I knew what was waiting for me. And I was literally afraid to go to sleep because I had some really bad symptoms when I was sleeping too. That was awful. It was a storm. And that really was for me saying, I am perishing. Oh, the rebuke. (laughs) Oh, the rebuke. The rebuke of having God show you that you are an idolater. It looks great on the outside and on the inside, an empty tomb. Death. Lack of faith in God. Self-worship. Oh, you of little faith, Andy. 
And even though the storm was my fault, you know what? Jesus calmed the storm. You know, that's how much God loves you, even when it's your own fault. You know that saying, it's your own bed, lay in it? You know, Jesus will never say that to you. Let me tell you real quickly how deliverance came. It obviously came from radically changing my life, my spiritual life, from worshiping myself to worshiping God. Listen to me. Make God the center of your life. He gives you truth. He gives you real hope. He gives you real love. Make God the center of your life. He also gave me exercise. Take advantage of common grace. If you're struggling with anxiety, I encourage you to exercise. Stop drinking coffee. You know where my real deliverance came from? You know God's voice in my life? It was from my wife. I had a wife who would sit with me in silence on the edge of the bed and just be Jesus to me. I was scared. And she didn't try to make it all go away real quickly because I don't want to get my hands dirty in all this. She didn't say, all right, you deal with that. I'm going to start my day. She sat with me in silence. I realized I had a woman who loved me, and that was part of God's deliverance. Hey, be that person. When someone is freaking out, be that person who will sit with them in silence who will be patiently present and who will help them get through the storm. You can be God's hands and feet to someone. You can be God's deliverance to someone. Be that person. Oh, I worship God. I worship God for having saved me from this trial. I remember reading Psalm 127 too that says, God gives rest to his beloved. And I said, oh God, give me your rest. You know what? God gives me rest. <laughs> like physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all andly, rest. I never knew rest. And I would never have known rest had God not brought me through this trial. Now listen, I don't know hardly any of you, but I do know the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you are in a storm right now. And guess what? It is your fault. You have brought a storm on yourself through sin. You have not sought after God. You have not loved Him. You have turned your back on Him. You are Jonah. And you are in a storm. 
and you can probably see the water coming onto the boat. Guess what? There's no shore in sight. And you're not going to last much longer. And guess what? He's there with you. He's been waiting quietly on purpose for moments like this. And he wants to calm the storm in your life. You know how he calmed the storm in your life? He didn't say, peace be still. But 2,000 years ago, you know what he did say? It is finished. And he will calm the storm in your life so that you can, with us, worship God with your words and with your life. So the question I have for you is, will you worship God today and for the rest of your life? Would you please pray with me? And as we're praying, we're going to take some time for reflection, some response. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for how you calm our storms. Thank you for being bigger than any demon, any trial, any sin in our life. You are the conquering king. God, show us your power. Show us your wisdom. Show us your love again this morning. We look to you in hope, Father. And we pray to you through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Brother? My friend, thank you for your word. Amen? Thank you for the word. We're going to close this way. What are the storms in your life? We all got them. Some of us are going through them right now. Some of us can see them on the horizon and they're coming and we, we know that they're coming. We're just trying to be obedient to Jesus. We're just trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus actually sleeps on us on purpose, on purpose. And many of you are like, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you at right now in my life? I don't see you. I don't feel you. You're sleeping. And you'll feel abandoned. I'm all alone, you know? And the purpose of all that is worship. The purpose of all that is to lift up Jesus and to say, come, come calm the storm inside me. And he will. <laughs> and he'll leave you saying, like Andy's testimony, who is this? The winds and the waves obey this man. Who is this man? Who is this man we're following? We thought we knew this man. We don't know this man. He's the God man. Calms the storm. So maybe some of your storms are family storms. Maybe you got 
that divorce story in your mind, and you're like, that's my story. That's my story. I'm struggling with family. Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a storm of faith. You're doubting God. You're, you're, you're a quiet atheist, struggling to believe that Jesus really rose again from the dead. And you're like, that's, where, that's me. That's my storm. And maybe for some of you, and maybe for many of you, it's fear, anxiety, worry. What's going to happen today? What's going to happen in the next hour? What's going to happen this afternoon? Is it going to be okay? Well, what a good exhortation, too. If you have someone in your life who's going through a storm, to be patiently present. What a good word. So if you're a Christian... God has been faithful to pull you through storms in your past. He'll be faithful now. Amen? He's going to be faithful now. So we can look to Jesus and say, Lord, come and find me again. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, your greatest storm is sin. And you won't escape. You won't survive without the saving work of Christ in your life. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, you've not surrendered your life to Christ, we would invite you to do that. Find me, find... Andy, find somebody else that you trust. Let them lead you to Jesus, even this morning, okay? So let's all stand up, and then we'll pray. I'll close this out in prayer. Thank you, Andy. And it would be really good for you to say thank you to Andy for bringing the word this morning after service. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, the storms are real. God, I, I intercede right now for every saint in this church, every believer, that you would carry them through this and help them to see that you have not abandoned them, Lord. You're about ready to save them again. And Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourself by delivering saints and encouraging them. And Lord, for those who are here that don't know Christ, Lord, would you just please work in their hearts, bring about change, regeneration, regenerate their hearts, God. Make them believe in Jesus. Lord, make this message come alive in their mind. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for meeting with us this morning. Lord, no matter what storms are yet ahead, We look to Jesus. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Lord, may we trust you, Jesus, today and give us grace as we're dismissed. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.